There's nothing to see here. Ah, I came in late. I came in late. I was supposed to turn this down a little bit quicker uh, on my end, but we're on another one. Uh, this one, you know what? I'm getting a little bit more liberal with the way that I'm going to start recording these things. And by saying that, I mean, I'm just going to start recording wherever I am, however I am for now till I can get something better going. So this is this is the start of the next one. Now, I want to talk about my ooh, my workflow, ooh, my workflow. So my last episode was titled. I got a notion and it's because I started using notion. I think it was titled that. Let me see here. Was that what it was titled? Yeah, I got a notion. So now because I have notion set up properly, now I can actually go through everything that I have on notion and I can just follow it just to a T and I have templates set up and it's beautiful. And I'm going to start working on the podcasting 2.0 chapters on next episode. But this, actually, you know what, screw it. I'll do it on this episode too. So if you look at your screen right now, you'll see my Notion workflow so far. So you can see the images that I've laid out. And the first image that you'll see is just a layout of the way that the uh, the toggle lists are set up for every single episode moving forward. So I have a template set up where if I push a button, it auto-populates every single thing on this list. So it starts off with my conspiracy therapy segment, and I have my audio for that. And then I have my Governor Inslee press updates, which I need to get a, a clip of him saying something stupid and then just add it to that segment. But until then, I just have it as a segment. And the reason why I have his, his press updates is because I live in the state of Washington. I think that it's pertinent, I think that's a word, to speak on what he's speaking on. So there's that. Then I have my wisdom from Jordan B. Peterson. I have a segment on that as well. All poo-poo times are pee-pee times. And I'll finish the rest later. Then I have grinds my gears. You know what really grinds my gears? My factoid for the week. I don't have anything on that yet for my sound effect. I think I'll just use this. Knowledge. Maybe something on top of that or as a back end or something. Kind of like I did with the what grinds my gears segment but we'll continue on. Then I have my my prepare with permaculture section. The alliteration is making me stutter, but there's that. I need a lot. Then I have my recommendations, and I also have my trigger warning segment, which is not in the list, but I'll just whip that out whenever I need to, but I have my recommendations. So I have all these things set up, and you can see also that at the very beginning of it, I have my my standard show notes package, just where you should be listening, basically on an app that follows the podcasting standards. You can find more at the website. You can visit my own website. And I have on the image a Snap Tea store link, but I'm switching over to Shopify because my Snaps tea, my Snap Tea store sucks. And um, then I also have my YT search tool that I built for GitHub. Well, that I built and put on GitHub. And I'm still trying to get better at finding features and things that I can implement into it. And I'm actually studying today and most likely tomorrow and all this next week on how to input certain features into it like hyperlinked uh hi hyperlinks to specific time codes in videos anyway i'll explain more about that later but then i also have my recommendations tab and my recommendations tab is set up for movies podcasts newsletters youtube videos and a new section that just made the rounds called support this so everything that i believe you should spend your money on that isn't me is there 
Now, once I get this completely streamlined, I'll release this template, make it open source so that anyone who wants to use it can use it and have a good time with it. But having said all that, I want to go into my idea for a university, and I'm calling it Pleb University, and I'm going to go through a rebranding already, and I haven't even launched it yet, but it's going to be called Rabbit Hole University. And I have that name thought out specifically because Pleb University is, is kind of, when you think of Pleb, that's usually a, a thought in just Bitcoin world. In Bitcoin land, Bitcoin Twitter, everything that has to do with Bitcoin, when you say pleb, you think of someone who's specifically knowledgeable or not knowledgeable or just in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I don't want that to be the only driving force behind this. It's a main part of it because if there's any donations, any money that's going to be transacted back and forth between either people who have their content on there or people who are trying to put their content on this repository, which is all it's going to be. Um, they may want to transact in Bitcoin. So I, I thought Pleb University would be a good idea for that. And you can see the logo on your screen right now that I designed, but it's not, I need to change it. I, I want to rebrand it to Rabbit Hole University because every single thing that will be talked about will have its own little toggle switch and that toggle switch will lead you down a rabbit hole of more and more and more toggle switches and you may never reach the end by the end of this, uh, by the time this actually reaches full maturity. So there's there's something I'm working on. I mentioned this idea a few episodes ago, and I, I just wanted to continue bringing it up because it puts it in my mind, puts a fire under my ass, and, and I can keep on going with it. But let's go on to my uh, conspiracy therapy segment. I have something specifically for this. So on my conspiracy segment, conspiracy therapy segment i have a specific topic that i want to cover and that topic is the idea of cbdc's and how they are specifically for government officials not the public and i want to get into that a little bit so i want to make sure everyone's on the same page with what i'm trying to propose here so i've already said my hail curries and prayed my saint john or prayed to saint john c for challenging their deconstructions but this is just a a different take on a recent clip from last Sunday, well, yeah, last Sunday's episode, last last Sunday's No Agenda episode, and I'm I'm having, yeah. Anyway, CBDCs fulfill multiple agendas at once, and I'm reading off a list that I wrote down. So they centralize the money to a greater extent. They allow for unlimited money creation. They enslave the general population to a greater extent. They allow for programmatic expiration of specific payments, i.e., spend now or it's gone. And fifth on the list, I didn't even count these, but fifth on the list, complete understanding of what the plebs are or are not purchasing. So I brought two clips to this. Now I want you to listen to the first clip and just think about what message is a, is attempting to be conveyed by the queen. I think it's I think this is the queen of the of, of the Netherlands. My goodness, I'm tripping over my words. And it's uh, to a room full of the big they, the they that everyone talks about when they want to put blame on others or talk about people who are trying to enslave us, the globalists. A room full of... <laughs> Oh my goodness, excuse me. A, a room full of the they. Listen to this clip. Uh, 
so if you listen to the comments that Adam made right there, you can hear that he's concerned about privacy and there was a laugh tell, obviously. But this woman was speaking specifically on the privacy that that she wants to bake into the CBDCs. Specifically, privacy for specific people. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because it was a simple message that she was that she was trying to convey that like it's going to accomplish everything I listen I listed and more. But what's overlooked is what it will do for the government. Now, listen to this and try to this next clip that I'm going to play and try and switch your thinking a little bit on the subject. And I'll explain more right after the clip on how I want you to switch your thinking and then I'll replay it afterwards. But listen to this. A good design of CBDCs could actually give people more control of their transactional data oh, yeah. and the ability to share it with a wider set of financial sector providers. Nice. Yet, growing concerns about data privacy would need to be addressed by hardwiring personal data protections into the structure of a CBDC. Mind here. Keep in mind, she wants to hardwire privacy protections into the CBDC. So just listen, li- li- listen, listen on, listen on. My goodness, I should not be recording today. Listen to this. A good design of CBDCs could actually she give people but yeah, more just, control just, just listen. of their transactional data oh, yeah. and the ability to share it with a wider set of financial sector providers. Nice. Yet, growing concerns about data privacy would need to be addressed by hardwiring personal data protections into the structure of a CBDC. Uh-huh. Hardwiring it into the structure. It is clear that more dialogue, research, and trials are needed to show how and when CBDCs can best become engines of financial inclusion. Engines of financial inclusion. Share your data it's, with... It's oh. total financial exclusion. How do I give a homeless guy five bucks using one of these digital nothings? So I think the the actual point of this message was overlooked by John and Adam both because they're, talk to, they're talking about the privacy aspect of it for the plebs and the financial inclusion side of it for if you want to if you want to actually be inclusive with the finances i think those words were thrown in there to throw you off the trail technically on what the underlying message is the underlying message is not that that we're going to uh have privacy preserving tactics for the public or that we're going to be financially inclusive for the public we're talking about financial inclusivity and exclusivity for who the government deems applicable so if you want to cut someone off a certain network i.e current events russia you can go ahead and do that whenever if you want to have total privacy in your underlying background activities like let's say i don't know writing a bill and putting a black budget in there where you enrich yourself as well let's go ahead and put in some privacy aspects in there for you as a official someone who's actually writing the stuff into law someone who's crafting this legislation and i say that specifically because 
there was a uh, survival podcast episode with Jack Spierko where he talked about how when you're playing status jujitsu, you need to understand that the government crafts its laws, writes its legislation in such a way that it allows themselves to circumvent their own rules. That's why the tax code never gets simplified because simplifying the tax code, and I'm doing air quotes right now, simplifying the tax code simply means adding more loopholes for the people who need the loopholes, the people who are writing the legislation. So if you know how to get around the legislation, this may actually be beneficial for you, but it seems like with all this technology and with all this, <clears throat> with all this talk of, I don't know, digital currencies, it's hard enough to wrap your mind around one, let alone however many other ones you have to wrap your mind around once they come out with every other CBDC because there's a central bank for every country, but whatever, I don't know, I'm, I'm out of my wheelhouse here. All I know is that this, this comment that she made was not simply on the idea of let's give privacy to the public. It's not for the public. Your data will still be shared with everyone they decide to share it with, but their data will not be. That's the privacy, that's the privacy things that she's uh, speaking of preserving. Anyway, continuing on, I just got a text message from my wife. Hold on a moment. And with the magic of not having to record live, I was able to reply to my wife's text message without anyone even knowing the time difference that it took. Awesome. Okay, we're moving along to the Gover Governor Inslee's press update. So I have a link to his Medium page in the show notes if anyone wants to click that and go along with it and just uh, read along with this article or any of these articles that I'm going to be reading on. But Inslee, here's the top one, Inslee and legislators roll out more reproductive freedom bills for a 2023 legislative session. Uh, I don't have a date on this one. I just have the reader view snipped on this. But anyway, today, Governor Jay Inslee and lawmakers announced several policy proposals that will be part of a 2023 legislative package to strengthen access and protection for patients seeking abortion and other reproductive health services. They were joined by more than a dozen faith leaders and representatives of reproductive care providers. Access to a woman's right to choice is a health care issue, said Inslee. Health care must remain the providence of individual Washington women. These laws will keep the tentacles of restrictive state out of Washington. Or restrictive states, I apologize. Representative Drew Hansen previewed a sanctuary policy that will help protect patients from states like Texas or Idaho from being punished or law for lawfully seeking and receiving legal health care services in Washington state. So what's happening here is exactly what I said should happen from the start. And it's easier said than done. It's easier said than put into practice. I understand. I'm not trying to act like this is a one all fix all and that everyone should follow what I'm saying as if I have the magic wand that will cure everything. But if you don't like the current rules or regulations in your own state, if you have no chance of fixing it by either running for office yourself or by putting together a group of people who are willing to vote in a certain direction or try and pass your own bill or sign petitions or whatever it may be. If you're not able to fix it, move to a state that has laws that are closer aligned with your own viewpoints. Because whether you're in the state of Idaho or Washington, all you have to do is cross state lines so you don't get punished for your actions. 
based on the laws that are written in that state. So in Idaho, abortion is illegal past a certain point. I believe it's it's past a few weeks. But if you seek abortion after that certain time period, you have to go out of state. So go ahead and go out of state, but go ahead and move out of state instead of receiving all the benefits of a certain set of laws provide that a certain set of laws provide you in a specific state just to receive this certain set of benefits another state provides you with their own set of laws. That seems like you're you're cherry picking and double dipping. So that seems to be just something, a little bit of news that that would be helpful for anyone who wants to know about the current state of affairs in Washington state. But then here's one that actually got me a little bit excited. Now I need to follow up on this because I haven't checked the uh, medium page for probably a week now, but it says state's COVID emergency order ends next week. So this should have ended on Monday where the COVID-19 pandemic remains, it says, but it's no longer an emergency thanks to vaccinations, sure, medical treatments, all right, and the innumerable effort of countless Washingtonians since the state had the nation's first documented case in January 2020. Woo, foam finger number one. As the governor announced last month, Monday will be the last day of the governor's COVID emergency declaration. And in quote, or in quotes, while we are grateful for the thousands of lives we saved together, thousands of lives were also lost. I don't know about saved. And many were changed forever, Inslee said. The past two and a half years have been some of the hardest anyone can remember. Through the loss and suffering, we did not lose faith and we did not abandon each other. Working together, we saved countless thousands of lives. I don't know about that at all, just because every metric that we use to measure deaths and infections and everything else was fudged and messed with and it, it, it has no bearing on reality. Moving along, let's get to another segment and this is my wisdom from Jordan B. Peterson. All poo-poo times are pee-pee times. But what does that imply? It's like if you can carve out a living for yourself, preferably inside of a large tropical fruit, well, that's a bloody good start. That's a little low. I need to adjust the volume levels on that, and I already have it maxed out, I think. No, I only had that at 70. Shoot, I should have maxed that out. Anyway, wisdom from Jordan B. Peterson. Let's play this right now. There's a city, and the city... Actually, hold on. Let me, um, let me, let me set this up. So this has some music and audio bed behind it. I didn't do that myself. This is, this is from YouTube. Again, I get most of my clips from there. I should really switch over, but this is from YouTube. So it has an audio bed with some somber music playing, but it's talking about this specifically. So the, the, uh, summarization that I got from this is that you disobey God at your own peril and go ahead and put whatever title you want on the name God, whether that be your conscience or the universe or literally the God of the Bible that I believe in, but disobey God at your own peril. Now let's go ahead and play this again. There's a city and the city is full of people who are sinful. What does that mean? Well, to sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. So these are people who aren't oriented properly. And so the city is in a chaotic state. And God tells Jonah that he's going to go to that city and tell them just exactly what's up with them. And Jonah thinks, no, I'm not going to do that. And why? Well, that doesn't require much explanation. It's like, how popular are you going to be if you go to a city full of chaotic people and tell them why they're stupid and wrong? It's, 
Jonah thinks, no, I'm not going to do that, I don't care if God's telling me to do it. So his conscience is telling him to do it, or his destiny is telling him to do it, or, or his orientation with higher morality is telling him to do it. You can read it any way you want. And so he thinks, no, I'm hopping on this boat, and I'm getting as far away from that city as I possibly can. And so he does that, and then the storm comes up, because God thinks, no, you're not getting away. If I told you to do something, you're not getting away from it. A storm comes up. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's easy. Betray your destiny and see how long it takes you to be drowning in a storm. It'll happen immediately, and, and of course it will, because what, what's calling you to be your best is exactly the thing that's pushing you forward to manifest yourself most fully in the world. It's what you need. You run away from that, the boat's going to start to rock very, very quickly. Well, and you all know that. You, you know that perfectly well. It, it, it's, hell, all you have to do is not study for an exam that you know that's coming up to see everything start to, the storm waters start to rise and everything start to rock. It's pretty bloody obvious. It's pretty bloody obvious. That's all you gotta know. There's, there's your little section of wisdom from Jordan B. Peterson. I love everything this guy has to say. It's just, I mean, I, I don't even have to comment on that specifically, but I do have one comment to make. I, um, that clip that I started with, my Jordan B. Peterson segment where he starts off saying this right here. Hold on, let me play that. All poo-poo times are pee-pee times. I reached out to a the gentleman, the one who actually recorded that specifically, the guy who faked the Jordan B. Peterson accent. Jordan Peterson. I should stop saying Jordan B. It's whatever. I reached out to the guy who did that recording, and I asked him to do a little vocal work so he might actually help me out with this, which would be great because he, he replied and he said, for sure, his, he's got some rates because he's a voice actor, and I want to <clears throat> I want to ask him to do some some things in jest for me, but I think it would be great. So moving on, I have another segment. This is the grinds my gear segment. I have two, I have two clips to play on this. One of them kind of ties into the other one, but I want to go ahead and play these both for you because it's just, oh, it kind of just really grinds my gears here. Um, actually, no, I just have one. I just have one. Screw it. I have one. Let me play this for you. Washington schools intentionally and dangerously lie to parents about their child's identity. Jeez. Ed educators are going much further than teaching gender identity to kindergartners. They're actively withholding information from parents about us. This is, by the way, uh, uh, on WTTH radio uh -huh. about parents purported gender identity identity. This <laughs> isn't merely dangerous as keeping families apart. Sorry for the cutoff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm trying to make a point. This was to kindergartners kindergartners are getting this indoctrination and i just want everyone to understand how horrifying that is that it's happening to kindergartners my son is in kindergarten right now and he's in the state of washington and these teachers in the state of washington are intentionally lying to parents to by keeping secrets from the parents for kindergartners keep listening Schools in Washington are either no, adopting. No, 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 schools no, no, no. in Washington are either ado either no. adopting or implementing policies that keep parents in the dark. Educators and administrators have not revealed gender identity different different than names a student may adopt, and even mental health concerns that could help parents connect their child with objective mental health experts. In some cases, they're ignoring direct instructions from the parents. An updated policy in the Puyallup School District is in Washington State. 
instructs staff to have a secret meeting with students it believes to be transgender. A North Shore district school keeps detailed records on students informing teachers what pronouns or names to use when talking to their child's parents. Now, I'm not in the Puyallup school district, but that's that's just it's still it's still dangerous the way that these people are choosing to ruin parents parents's uh involvement in their kids life even though they send their kids to school and i i was all for the idea of homeschooling my wife wanted to send my kids to public school so i'm allowing her to go ahead and allow i'm allowing her i'm going along with it without putting up a fight i'll say it that way without putting up a fight just so that way she can see the nonsense that comes out of the public school system in her kids lives because it's one thing to experience it yourself because my wife and i both went to public school as well i did for not very long i was homeschooled most of my life but during the time that i did go to public school it really screwed me up and when my wife was in public school she skipped school a whole heck of a lot so she didn't see a lot of the indoctrination or really focus on it she wasn't really into school that much but let's move on. In Bellingham, the superintendent endorses a worksheet teachers use to ask questions of the student. It goes on. And it turns out to be an area-wide uh, policy that's been created by one of the districts, the bigger overall districts. And I had to say, and the policy comes from the Washington State School Directors Association. And what they're doing is they're trying to keep everything the kid says. We're talking kindergartners, first mm-hmm. graders. Uh, to <laughs> Seven, six-year-olds, six-year-olds, five-year-olds. Yeah, they have to keep it as, they get the kids to keep it a secret. You keep it a secret. You keep it as, this is what pedophiles do. Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. We're all going to get in trouble if you tell anybody, you know, what we're doing here, me and the, you know, this this is what pedophiles do. These people are, you're talking, they're taking groomers off the table. That's for sure. You don't have to hear that anymore because it's gotten beaten back by the left. But this is bullshit. I agree. John C. Dvorak, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I agree with you. This is complete and total bullshit. And this is what's happening to our children. Now, I'm not in the Puyallup district. I said that already. I'm in the Spokane Valley district. Liberty Lake, actually. But still, this is just nonsense, complete and total nonsense. It's to kindergartners. Like, what is, what's the long run? And like, who's actually moving forward with this? Who actually, like, I know what the long run is. I already know this. I already spoke about this a few times. People do this for the, what they believe in. Just in, in, in the exact same way that back in the day, people would build cathedrals and they would build them with the most beauty in mind. Everything had to be as beautiful as possible. They built it with that in mind, knowing that they wouldn't be alive to see the end result because they knew they were doing something bigger than themselves. Same thing with this. But the people, what do they actually believe? Because I don't think they can actually voice it. I don't think they can actually put into words, articulate everything they believe they will accomplish. And I don't think they've looked at every single possible outcome of what will be accomplished by teaching children these things. By indoctrinating children in such a way and keeping these secrets. From the parents. I mean, I I, I kind of have time right now to go into it, but I don't really. Oh, it just grinds my gears to another extent. I was raised different. I was raised differently than the kids being raised today and the kids being indoctrinated today. I'm not saying that the indoctrination is different because, well, it is. It is different. It is more in your face. It is more out there and more open. 
back in the day it wasn't and then again back in the day how much longer ago was that but, but like 10 15 years tops it wasn't that much longer ago but it was long ago enough for me to be able to say this honestly without having to think twice about it i was raised different and the kids nowadays are being raised to learn that it's okay to lie to your parents because you're when you're in the authority or in the presence of a different authority figure it's okay to lie to the authority figures at home because those are just uncultured and ignorant authority figures because they aren't part of the school system and the school system is the only place where you can receive an education and because they're not part of the system they are obviously uneducated in this regard so because of that you need to listen to our our knowledge and our reasoning and use our reasoning as a baseline for your life and the guiding practices and disregard everything that people at home tell you. It's nonsense, complete and total nonsense. I would say rubbish, but I'm not about that life. Anyway, outside of the grinds my gears segment, I've got a factoid for the week. The factoid is more of a revelation and a revelation that that needs its own sound effect that I don't have. Where's my butt slam? Whoa, you got butt slam! Whoa, you got butt slam! There it is. I have to adjust the audio the first time. But there it is. This is a butt slammed thing. My goodness. Listen to this segment real quick here. Overnight, a federal appeals court granted the request from attorneys general of six Republican-led states to put a hold on the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan. Oh, that no. plan now in limbo just days after people began applying for loan forgiveness. ABC's Karen Travers joins us now with the details. Karen, good morning. Good morning, Will. This is a major blow to a key policy that Age President Biden blow. is campaigning on ahead of the midterm elections. About 22 million Americans have already applied through this relief program, and it's only been open for a week. And now it's not clear what this order means for those borrowers. The White House is still encouraging people to apply under this program. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said in a statement last night, this order does not prevent the Education Department from reviewing applications, but also unknown is whether the several legal challenges right now against the president's loan forgiveness program will be resolved by January 1st. That's when payments on all federal student loans have to restart after a nearly three-year pause due to the COVID pandemic. So what's this all about? What's this all about indeed? I mean, like, my goodness, this is just like, uh, we're going to say something. Just to get people on board and then get them hold on to, to hold on to that hope. As long as you just you vote the right way, you can hold on to this hope. But just watch out. Watch out. We might overturn this. Just watch out. These Republicans, these Republicans are going to screw you over. They're going to take your your student loan forgiveness away from you. Like, my goodness. Who falls for this crap? I guess technically I did. Not really. My wife did for sure. She signed me up for it specifically. And. I remember the exact conversation. My mom sent me a text and she says, hey, uh, I don't know if you if you know about this, but uh, Mr. President or let me see if I have that text. so I can read it to you. It's hilarious. There it is. She says, do you have federal loans when you went to college up there in Sacramento? Do you still have a balance on on them? Do you still owe them money? Question mark. Uh, apparently, President Biden offers you a relief of debt. And technically, yes, but. Look at this. It's just, it's all, it's all just nonsense. Preying on the people who need the help. 
Ugh, my goodness. Okay, I have uh, two clips I want to play before I get into my uh, last factoid of sorts. And then I'm going to end the show by talking about um, just some of the recommendations I have. Let me play these two clips for you. So I have two clips. And they're both from the interview that Kanye West did with Lex Friedman. Now, I listened to the MoFax episode on this, and I had a complete perspective shift on the entire interview itself after I listened to that one. Great episode by MoFax. You all need to listen to it. Everyone needs to go listen to it. It's just, it's wonderful. I think it's called Yay and Them. Oh, it's great. But listen to Kanye West's statement of faith from the Lex Friedman show. I'm fighting for us to live. The greatest gift is life itself. I am pro-life. I am pro-God. I believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and died for our sins. And that's all I need to hear from you, Kanye. You're saved. You're a saved man. I'm not that naive, but, you know, a boy can dream. (laughs) That sounds so gay. I shouldn't say that. Um, But no, I, I really do hope that Kanye does actually mean what he says when he says that he's a believing man. Kind of doubt it because his his music kind of preaches a different message, which, I mean, he shall know them by their fruits. And your fruits aren't simply your actions. It's the product of your actions. And his actions are his talent and his recording. And the product is the music. And his most recent songs don't really preach a changed man. But, you know, what are you going to do? Anyway, here's one more thing that I do agree with. And it's uh, it's also it's not a clip from either of those shows. It's from the No Agenda show, Adam listen to this and he clipped it brought it to the show but i thought it is pertinent and it there's that word again and it needs to be replayed over and over again uh someone put music underneath it to make it into a meme so i didn't do that it makes a little bit more dramatic but this is also true what he's saying my people are sick if i load up apple music right now and i play the top songs in the rap chart i would tell you my people are sick. If I go to the restaurants in opportunity zones and we look at the calorie rating and the cholesterol, I will tell you that my people are sick. If we look at the obesity rate, you will see that my people are sick. And my people meaning all people. If the media picks a overweight black woman and says this is body goals, then the media are influencing my people to stay sick. And it just so happens that that night I was so frustrated after 20 years that I had to call it out in one tweet. Even if I say, hey, okay, I was frustrated for these reasons. Now it's not good enough. You've literally tried to make me re-apologize 10 times in this meeting. Re-say this, re-say that. But it doesn't change the fact that my people are sick and I'm the only person in my position that will say that my people are sick. Today, not 30 years ago, not 60 years, my people are sick today. 50% of my people's deaths are abortion today. My people don't have the opportunities today. Yeah, I think that's part of what his message is, is his message is we're being controlled or no, his message is all these people that you look up to are being controlled He feels that's Jews who are controlling them. And he's saying we're sick. And we are not just his people, just anyone who follows after the and by his people, I mean anyone that he considers his people, whether that be the Jews that he says that he's a part of in that interview, which I think he just said that to get under the skin of Lex Friedman or whether he means black people, black folk, whatever he means. But 
I think that everyone who follows the mainstream narrative and follows the amygdala inflationary media would be considered sick. Anyone who follows the body goals, anyone who succumbs to the peer pressure of saying, don't body shame me, anyone who says, who follows along with the mainstream narratives, I believe that we're all sick. And I think in the same, I think when Kanye says his people, I think he means anyone who believes strongly in the message that he's preaching when he's preaching it. Now, I'm not saying that as in the religious sense, but in any of the messages he puts in any of his songs um, or any of his interviews where he talks about how you're not supposed to be trying to push a Rari or a foreign and FB words, but you're supposed to be trying to do better for yourself as a human being. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not, I've, I've been a Kanye fan for quite a while. Um, not exactly like, oh my gosh, I'm a fan. I know every album or I know every song. Like I didn't even know his very first song that made it, that put him on the map. I didn't know what was it, uh, through the wire. I didn't even know that was a song of his. So I'm not going to say that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm one of these crazy fans. What I mean is I enjoy who he is as a person. I enjoy his creativeness. I enjoy who he is as a person. Now he's like I said, he's not he's not a good person in the Christian sense, and no one's a good person in the Christian sense, but he's not a someone you can look up to. He's not really a role model in the Christian sense, I'll say it that way, but he is a struggling person, so I'm giving him benefit of the doubt. In the same way I did Justin Bieber when he said he was going to come forth as a Christian. Now, I think that he got led astray, whether it was by his own mind, whether it was by the people around him. I mean, his preacher was going around showing dick root everywhere, which is just disgusting and just shouldn't happen. But it happened. And I think that he's being manipulated. I think people are trying to manipulate Kanye, but I think that he's I think Kanye is one of these people who will lash out in the way that you would never expect just so that way he can prove that no one controls him, which is a strange way to go about things. But I think that's the way he does it. So, yeah. Anyway, that's that's the last of that's the last of my segments. I have one more that I'll play for you, but it's six minutes long. So if you want to stick around and listen to it, then stick around and listen to it. If you don't, uh, just go ahead and cut out uh, six minutes of the time on the timeline. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah. Okay. This is cool. They're really tiny. Really tiny. Yeah. And so, um, what happened was it's from the forests of Ethiopia. Um, uh, on the on either side of what's called the Rift Valley, it's it's where it's where the human species evolved. It's where we evolved over there, and coffee evolved in the same place. So, uh, uh, which is crazy to begin with. Yeah. And and uh, the Ethiopians consumed it somehow, but then the uh, somehow probably by the people on the other side of the Red Sea in what's now Yemen, which was then called Arabia Felix. This is like in uh, about eleven hundred. They said, uh, "They said, wait a second. We they got some some of the Ethiopian slaves brought some uh, coffee seeds over there, and they started planting coffee in what's now Yemen. Um, and they started growing it, and it turned into a big deal. And they were the first ones that actually exported it out of the out of the uh, area. So." Um, and the biggest, the port, the main port at that time in Yemen was called Mocha. So oh. you've heard, you know, of a cafe Mocha. Or yeah. This coffee is called Mocha. Mocha um, Java. Yeah, Mocha Java, all that stuff. That's all a reference to this one port in Yemen. Wow. And it's still there. It's called Al Mocha. And, wow. And um, I thought Mocha had something to do with chocolate. Chocolate, yeah. We, we, in the 
now in the European States, yeah, we kind of, well, it's that people started adding chocolate to coffee that wasn't from there to try to make it taste like it was from there. Really? Yeah. So it had a natural chocolatey taste to it? Naturally chocolatey taste to it. Can you still get coffee from there? It's very hard because it's Yemen, you know? It's creepy. And so, yeah, it's a a difficult place to do business with. We need to make friends with Prince Nassim Hamed. Do you remember that guy? No. He was a boxer from Yemen. Oh, yeah. Badass dude who did a lot of wild shit, came in on a magic carpet. Oh, crazy. He used to dance around the ring. Yemen's an amazing place. <clears throat> I mean, you, I've, I've never been there, but I've seen lots of pictures. I've known lots of Yemeni people. Um, but it's just politically, politically a little very, dangerous, yeah. volatile yeah. spot. Right. That's unfortunate. That sounds but, like it's some unique coffee out of there. But so, the, so anyway, so they brought, when they brought coffee from Ethiopia to Yemen, they brought only a few plants. And then they used those to be the parents of all the, the, uh, the coffee in Yemen. And that, they were the ones that exported it anyway. Then, but then, it, this is in history, they were growing coffee, they were exporting it. Other people said, wait a second, we want in on this coffee deal because you're making money selling coffee. But they had a, they had a penalty of death if you got seeds, if you took seeds out of Yemen at that time. Really? You, if you got caught exporting fertile coffee seeds, you could be put to death. It was that valuable. That valuable. That's incredible. And this is at a time where, when like the English and the Dutch were fighting over the Dutch East Indies as the Spice Islands, you know, mm-hmm. people were all these, everybody was trying to get some colonies going to export these cash crops. And they saw coffee as a potential cash crop. Some Dutch spies successfully got some coffee out of Yemen and they planted it on, and they had just won the war with the English over the Dutch East Indies. And they planted the coffee that they stole from Yemen in what's now Indonesia, on the island of Java. Wow. And they turned, they, they did great. They, they planted all these farms. They were producing coffee. And that's why we still call coffee Java. Wow. Yeah. So in Mocha Java. Mocha Java is, it, and, and, you know, 150 years ago, those were the two places that made most of the coffee in the world. The port of Mocha in Yemen and the island of Java in the Dutch East Indies. Wow. And Ethiopia back then... Like, if that's where it all started from... They weren't exporting anything then. They were just, like, letting it grow? They were just eat, drinking it themselves. Wow. Yeah. And they, they didn't build an export market. Wow. So, so the, then it gets weirder. You ready? Yeah. So, uh, the, in the, at one point, the Dutch and the uh, French signed a treaty, and, like a, you know, some sort of treaty. And as a gift, the Dutch gave one coffee tree to the French, one coffee tree. And the French, in, like, uh, in France, they built a uh, hothouse, like a greenhouse, just to hold this plant. And it was the first, <laughs> it was the first uh, greenhouse in Europe. What? The and first greenhouse in Europe was, was for a coffee built, plant. Right. And, and they, they planted other stuff there too, but this coffee plant was like really special. And, and they used cuttings from that plant um, to plant, they wanted to plant some stuff in the West Indies, in the Caribbean, um, they wanted to plant some coffee, the French did, to, for their colonies. And so this one guy named Gabriel de Clou, he was responsible for bringing the coffee from France to Martinique. But, so he brought this one plant, and he had it in a glass box, but they, the, they ran out of wind on the journey, and the, so they were stuck in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Gabriel de Clou was sharing his water ration with this plant to keep it alive. Oh, my God. He managed to keep it alive, planted it, and that one plant was the parent of most of the coffee in 
Central America, South America, etc. Holy shit. Yeah. So, so now there's a scientific impact to this because all the genetic diversity that was in Ethiopia, all the thousands of different coffee varieties that were in Ethiopia, imagine how that got narrowed down from getting uh, brought from Ethiopia to Yemen in the first place. Then whatever plants those Dutch spies uh, stole to put the coffee in Java, then that one plant that went to uh, that went to the New World, that went to France first and then to the New World, that's uh, they call it a genetic bottleneck. So all the coffee outside of Ethiopia is kind of siblings to one another. That's incredible. Yes, Joe, I agree. That is incredible. Anyway, that's a little bit of knowledge for you. Anyway, last last thing on the list today, I got my beatbox ad for Podcasting 2.0, my end of show song, end of show ISO, and my son. So I'll uh, close it out with that. Thanks for sticking around, guys. And peace. Chapters, transcripts, images, links, stream micropayments to the podcast, and send Satoshis in real time over the Lightning Network using a compatible Podcasting 2.0 app. Just go to newpodcastapps.com. That's newpodcastapps.com. And for more info, go to podcastindex.org.
That's what God is That's what God is Can my podcast give me five stars?